What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week, we have a very special guest with us. We have a pelvic floor specialist. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Felicia. My name is Laura Mayhofer, and I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. Basically, that just means that I'm a physical therapist who has gone to extra schooling and education to be able to treat the specific special muscles. Recently started my own practice. I have my website, which is lauramayhofer.com, where you can get weekly um, updates through my newsletter with the different blogs and all of the different things that I'm doing on all the socials. That's amazing. And so a lot of our audience is typically on the younger uh, age range. So pelvic floor health is not really something that a lot of us, especially young women, discuss. So would you mind telling us exactly like what pelvic floor health is? Like what does that entail within our physiology? Certainly. So first I'll give a background of what exactly the pelvic floor is. So the pelvic floor is a group of 26 muscles. No matter what anatomy you were born with, everyone has 26 muscles. They attack at that front pubic bone. So right underneath kind of your mons area, you can feel a firm bone. That's where they attach at and they run like a sling or a hammock and run um, to your tailbone and the very bottom part of your spine known as the sacrum. So these 26 muscles have five major functions. They help with our urinary and bowel continence. They help with support of our spine and our hips. They deal with holding our organs up and inside of our body. They deal uh, as a lymphatic pump. Um, And then most importantly, they deal with sexual appreciation. So when we are thinking about how these pelvic floor muscles are working for a younger population, a lot of things that I run into um, as a pelvic floor physical therapist uh, is, are you able to get your pelvic exams or does it hurt when you're getting uh, the speculum, which is that either clear plastic thing that they put in when they're doing your well exam or uh, it kind of looks like a duck bill or sometimes it's metal. Is that painful? Are you having pain when you're inserting or leaving in place or removing a tampon or a menstrual cup? Do you have pain when you're wearing underwear or tight clothing? Is there pain with intercourse or orgasm? Sometimes even with this younger demographic of people um, with birth control, you can have um, dryness and skin irritation um, on the outside of the vagina, so the area known as the vulva. Um, So these are some of the things that your audience should think about. And whether they're having that happen or maybe one of their friends are having it happen. Honestly, I learned most of my pelvic health from my best friends when I was in college or university, as you call it, in in Canada, because we were 
able to talk about what each other were dealing with and we couldn't get our good information from our doctors. So we were able to get that good information from each other and really figure out our problems amongst ourselves. But now you know that there's a professional that can help you. No, absolutely. And I'm actually really curious to look at that disconnect between, you know, family practitioners and OBGYNs and pelvic floor specialists and maybe maybe exactly what the difference is and why a lot of medical professionals don't necessarily have the tools to provide the same um, assistance that a pelvic floor specialist could. Yes. So a lot of it comes down to time constraints. So when you go into your doctor, to your general practitioner, to an ob they're they have a small window of time that they have to see you and they're checking off, you know, am I doing the STI prevention? Um, am I appropriately screening them for um, some of the bigger concerns? Say maybe an individual is dealing with um, polycystic ovarian syndrome because their hormonal cycle is odd. Um, And so the doctors or nurse practitioners or physician's assistants are looking at some of those bigger, scary things. And oftentimes the pelvic floor symptoms are rated as very small. But when you're thinking of someone's life and their quality of life, it's not small. Because if you're having vaginal dryness or if you're leaking when you're exercising and you're 17 years old that's really embarrassing and sometimes it's scary to bring that up to your practitioner but it's important that you continue to tell them if you're struggling with some some of these concerns because then they will write you a referral to go to pt or it's important to search online to find people who can help you because then you want to get these things addressed sooner rather than later. Because if you leave them go, what oftentimes can happen is they can become bigger problems. So as I was saying with the pelvic floor being these 26 muscles, they're like muscles anywhere in our body. So they can have um, tight tender points just like you can get a tight tender point in your neck. Um, And so that can cause that pain with intercourse. And if you don't address it, it will oftentimes become more and more and more tight, more and more and more painful. So these are the things where you want to think about them now and address them sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And I think that goes into our next question about kind of this whole lack of understanding of pelvic floor health or even just myths surrounding it. I feel like as vulva owners, we kind of are conditioned to believe that our vulva and our pelvic floor area and even our, you know, our uterus and, you know, everything that's internal is kind of as kind of based on a default of pain. And we are kind of just encouraged to accept that things are painful, um, which isn't correct. Uh, I don't think men and penis owners go around with pain in their penises. And, you know, a doctor would say, oh, 
you're you're just uncomfortable it's fine it's like not a big deal but the pelvic floor sounds like a very very important structural set for quality of life especially for vulva owners because we do deal with like urinary leakage on a higher scale than men do um I was curious as to what you think the big cause of like the mystification of pelvic floor health and maybe the lack of information or attention to it comes from. Yeah. So I think, um, well, (laughs) I believe you hit the nail on the head when you said with penis owners and men, Uh, When they come in and they say they have a problem, I do believe it is taken more seriously. Uh, I I also believe that they sometimes underreport things. But if you look to, say, medications, uh, erectile dysfunction medications are covered by insurance. But medications that serve vulva owners are not necessarily covered by insurance or not necessarily seen as medically necessary, whereas erectile dysfunction medicine is. So um, right there, you can see that the medical community values penis owners and devalues vulva owners. So that is a larger issue. And I think that that has come about because um, many people who are in the medical profession for so long uh, were men. And so you would have, say, again, I know we're kind of using these binary terms, but say you would have a woman or a vulva owner come in and they would say, I have these problems. And they can say, oh, well, I'm sure it's just something weird with your cycle. Or yeah, you're a woman, you know, you're either going to have kids or you had kids or whatever. And so they could very easily kind of poo-poo it as something that was a part of your regular cycle. Um, And it really takes you as the individual um, armoring yourself with with your information. So I always encourage patients, clients, people on social media to write down your symptoms, to create almost a symptom log. So when you go into your provider, you can explain, say you're dealing with vaginal dryness, you can say, this is when I noticed when it started. This is when I noticed that I was um, maybe having discomfort with intimacy or this is when I started to have to use lubricants or this is when I noticed my wearing my underwear was irritating and you can sort of create this timeline for them so they cannot poo poo it and then they can connect it to other things. So, um, but I do, I do definitely think, and I have personally experienced, um, being told that it was in my head it was 
something that I was confused on. I mean, growing up, I had painful periods. I had huge mood swings. They were super, super heavy. And I just remember being like, okay, no one's listening to me. So I'm just going to document how many pads and tampons I'm going through and what my mood is. And then I would come in and I like set it down and it was like a four month log. And the doctor was like, oh my gosh, why didn't you say anything? And I thought to myself, I have been saying things. This has been a horrible experience. And that's when they took me seriously. So um, so I think it's a systemic issue. I'm hopeful that it's getting better because we're definitely seeing more women in the medical profession. Um, also, we're seeing more grant money being given to studies that look at sex differences. Uh, so that's really, really exciting. Um, because I know I'm going off on a slight tangent, but I think this is important for people to know, especially young people. So if, so I learned of a study where they were looking at heart attack medication and the heart attack medication was super helpful to women, but was not helpful to men. And so the heart attack medication never went to market. And I think that is like so despicable. Uh, so because of that study, the NIH, which is um, does a lot of grant money and stuff, is purposely trying to give money towards um, studies that parse out is there a gender difference uh, and then not only do they parse that out but then the study specifically reports on that and it means it's harder uh, and talking to the physicians that have to do that they don't like that because it means that they have to get more data points and it means they have to do more work but it means that both men and women finally will be served better. So um, yes, so it's a whole systemic thing, which I mean, haven't, we've just had like a year of awakening, I feel like, and it's just going to keep happening. But I mean, come on. <laughs> We're no, 50 absolutely. of the population. <laughs> You'd think that we would, you know, be more well into it now, but I really, really like the, the recognition that you made in regards to erectile dysfunction medication being so accessible and covered by insurance. When if you think about um, yeast infections, that over-the-counter medication isn't covered by insurance and you have to pay for it. And half of the time, it's not even your fault. It's just something your body naturally does. So right. I feel like there's a huge we could, this is a whole, this is a podcast series of the systemic issues within the healthcare yeah. system. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Like plan B. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. So many different birth control, all of that stuff. Yes. But I, I'd love to go back to kind of pelvic floor and just providing information on, okay, when do I need to seek out a pelvic floor specialist. So yes. are there any key notes that you would make to young women about when, when they're experiencing pain and for how long of a time um, before they go see their practicing physician or OBGYN and get the referral? So if you are experiencing any pain in your abdomen, in your 
external vulva, internal vagina, and that pain is present for greater than six weeks, you definitely want to go in and get assistance. Now that pain can be constant or it can be intermittent. If it's constant, you're obviously going to want to be telling your doctor way sooner than six weeks. Um, I mean, if it's constant and it's more than a, you know, a few days, you're going to want to be talking to your doctor to make sure you're getting any infections or anything like that cleared out. But if they clear everything out and you have no infections, no urinary tract stuff, no bacterial vaginosis, yeast, all of that's all cleared and you're still having pain, immediately start advocating to go to pelvic floor PT. If your pain is intermittent, then you're still gonna want to go to PT. You'll still go down the track of talking to your doctor and making sure they're clearing out anything like an infection, um, the doctor will still want to make sure there's nothing like a cyst or anything like that going on. But if you're having intermittent pain and it's especially tied to intercourse, arousal, orgasm, putting in a tampon, taking out a tampon, pelvic exams, anything like that, you're going to want to advocate for PT because all of those events that I described are asking your pelvic floor muscles to stretch and they're just not stretching. And so that's why they're giving you pain signals. The other times that you want to advocate for PT comes with maybe some not so fun topics, but bowel and bladder health. So if we think of bladder health, oftentimes people think they might be leaking when they're exercising. Uh, and actually there was a study where 25% uh, of high impact athletes, so these were uh, women who were in volleyball, running, basketball, were leaking urine and they didn't even know it. And they were college athletes. Um, and so if you think you might be leaking, uh, and you're younger, you probably are, and simply doing pelvic floor strengthening won't necessarily make it better. Oftentimes it's a coordination thing. So same thing, go in and get help. Uh, and then for bowel movements, this is actually huge, especially I'm finding it's becoming a real issue because of COVID, uh, because people have the masks on, so they're not able to breathe appropriately or drink enough water. So if you are not having a bowel movement um, and it's like, you know, been more than three days and you're sitting on the toilet for more than 10 minutes, you're straining, there's pain associated with it. Um, like same thing, you're going to want to go to PT to help get that figured out. So I think a lot of times um, when I talk to younger people, they're just like, oh, I just always went to the bathroom like that and no one said anything and it was fine and I just sat on the toilet for 45 minutes and I was looking at my phone and I'm like, no, 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 no. We shouldn't be sitting on the, on the toilet for more than 10 minutes. So those are some very easy 
things to think about um, when you're, again, younger and trying, if you're on the fence of should I get help or shouldn't I get help? And the nice thing is PTs are totally different than doctors. We're chill, we're laid back, we get more time with you. So um, generally a physical therapy appointment is anywhere between, my first appointment is 90 minutes with um, my patient. Generally, I would say the average is anywhere between 40 to 60 minutes for other people. But um, you can even just schedule one appointment and talk and explain your concerns. And for the younger population, sometimes it's like maybe three visits and we have you on a solid program. We've educated you on what's going on and you're fine. Um, so, so if anything kind of seems abnormal, and again, even for people who are listening to this and maybe you're thinking, well, my pelvic floor function is great. Being there for your friends and saying, hey, you seems like you're having long, painful periods or gosh, I remember you said you were with a boyfriend and it really hurt when you guys were having sex. I heard this podcast. Please, please, please share it with them because you're each other's like best advocates and helpers. No, absolutely. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about women and vulva owners just being conditioned to like deal and cope. Um, and you don't have to cope with pain. Um, and it may take a little bit more advocacy than it does for our male counterparts. But at least now we have some of the tools and resources and people like you to help us kind of advocate and learn about our bodies and what they're supposed to do on like a healthy pattern and what they aren't. Um, but you were kind of talking a little bit earlier about pelvic floor health being on the lower end of like the concern in relation to like OBGYNs testing for STIs and cysts and et cetera. But what are some of the long-term effects if you do not treat your pelvic floor um, yeah. symptoms or discomforts? Yeah. So what will happen if you leave things untreated? So going back to the fact that the pelvic floor is a muscle group, um, what happens is those muscles get tighter and tighter and tighter and they get shorter and shorter and shorter. And so it's kind of like if you were to take your hand right now and squeeze it as hard as you could and you just keep squeezing it, keep squeezing it. And if you look at your knuckles, you can see there's no blood flow to them. My hand's starting to hurt as I'm squeezing it. So when we leave our pelvic floor untreated, it will just kind of keep tightening and it becomes very inflexible. It will oftentimes give us more pain. Um, so the little symptoms that might be sort of intermittent and slightly bothersome just slowly start to become constant and, and more painful, more bothersome. So for example, I had one patient who was on birth control and birth control actually will decrease the estrogen to your vulva in particular. So um, it is almost like it was putting her into menopause uh, and she was 20 years old and she kept telling her doctor like, gosh, I have this vaginal dryness and 
I used to be able to wear my tight skinny jeans and now I can only wear like these other wide leg jeans. And the doctor's like, well, your jeans are still cute, so it's fine. And the girl was like, well, I guess my jeans are still cute and I guess I can still find stuff. And so it just kept going for more and more and more to the point where she could only wear dresses without underwear because anything touching the vulva made it so insanely painful. And so what oftentimes what happens, I find, is that people, whatever their issue is, whether it's a little bit of urinary incontinence, whether it's a little bit of pain with intercourse, is they try to modify things to get around it and not come to get PT. And then it, the problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So like, for example, with intercourse, someone will maybe say, oh, well, it only hurts when I do this position. So we won't do that position. Then they keep going, going, well, now it hurts when I do these three positions. Well, now it hurts but he can only go halfway in, you know? And so it just keeps modifying. And then by the time they get to me, it's like two years later and they're like, well, now I'm not having penetrative intercourse. And I'm like, oh, why couldn't I have just found you earlier? You know, and, and, and again, part of it is they were reporting that maybe to their physician or whomever doctor and the doctor just kept saying the same thing. We'll modify things. Will your jeans still look cute? And it's like, no, no. So you have to compromise on your outfit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like that, that is the biggest takeaway from this. You should not have to compromise on your outfit. So, so with these, um, with any of these things, if you, you are the, I always say you're the master of your own body. And if you think that something is not right, then say something. Um, and it doesn't, it never hurts to shoot me an email or, um, find another PT in your area or another PT online. Again, we're really nice. And you can ask, like, I've had people send me emails and say, Hey, I'm dealing with this, this, and this. Do you think this is a concern that I need to see PT for? And it's a very, for me at least, it's a very simple thing to read what they say. Maybe I ask a couple of extra questions and I say yes or no. Um, And, but just simply continuing to modify and change things, that's where people get themselves into trouble. No, absolutely. And I was looking at your social media and I was kind of interested in some tools and um, kind of some of the options if you are experiencing pelvic floor discomfort. And there was a lot of yoga on your Instagram. So I'm really curious about how that is integrated into your work and essentially what are the benefits of yoga for your pelvic floor? Yes. So I love yoga uh, and I, (laughs) yes. And um, I think one of the great things about yoga particularly that I like is the breathing aspect of it. And as I said earlier, um, especially with COVID and people having to wear masks all the time, I'm really seeing people having a hard time accessing their breath appropriately um, because they take their mask off 
and they go to do the breathing and they're breathing really up high in their chest and throat. So the yoga that I have people do is more of a relaxed, restorative um, kind of yoga. Uh, so it's slow and you are really accessing that breath and bringing it low into your belly. And when you do that, you your diaphragm moves and that actually helps move your pelvic floor. So it's a great way to mobilize and stretch your pelvic floor without ever having to touch it at all. So I love deep breathing with that. And then I use yoga postures where you get into the yoga posture and then you hang out there for at least 90 seconds and you're supported in that yoga posture. So think of say child's pose, for example, but say maybe for your child's pose, you put a pillow between your thighs. So you raise the ground up just a little bit um, and you can lay your chest and head across this pillow. And maybe instead of stretching your arms way in front of you, you let them kind of bend gently next to you. And then you just turn your head to the side and you're just supported there for at least 90 seconds, usually longer. And then you do that nice, slow, gentle breathing. So that same child's pose position mimics a position I do when someone's laying on their back where I move their leg and I do internal pelvic floor work to help release the muscle. So I have people do these different yoga postures to help them self-treat at home. So um, it's so if you go onto my YouTube channel, there's a whole playlist called Yoga for the Pelvic Floor. I think there's only like five um, videos on there, and those are the only exercises that I give people for self-treatment at home because you can move your legs in a certain way and it helps to relax your pelvic floor muscles. So, um, so that's how I like to tie it in. I also like to tie yoga in with some really gentle, slow flows. Think of it kind of like downward dog, cat cow, child's pose and then I'll do some kind of riffs off of that together um, and it's so beautiful because you're warming up your shoulders you're warming up your spine you're warming up your pelvis and it's in a really safe way and the pelvic floor likes that safety and so versus think of yoga when you're like at the class where they're like, okay, I was in this class where they're like, it's cardio time. And I'm like, what yoga class? Is <laughs> and we suddenly started doing like burpees and I'm like, like chaturanga burpees. And I was like, I signed up for the wrong yoga class. Um, oh my so God. <laughs> yes, I know. I was like, what in the hell is this? But, um, but yeah, so my yoga tends to be the slower flow stuff, and it's really connecting that breath and movement because um, oftentimes we so are disconnected from that. No, absolutely. And just kind of going off of treatment methods, just in case someone is a little bit maybe nervous to go see their pelvic floor specialist, like what can someone anticipate um, beyond like the initial like consultation of like, okay, is there something that needs to be treated? What 
is a pelvic floor specialist going to provide? And then also like, what is the at home work alongside of whatever Mm -hmm. you provide essentially? Yes. So um, again, remembering that you are always your, um, you are always the captain of your ship. And so if you come into a pelvic floor PT and they say, um, you have to do something, you can always decline. So a PT should always, a PT, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, anyone who's doing any type of physical touch to you should always be asking for your consent first. I think that that's something uh, that I am noticing, at least in my own uh, healthcare, for me personally, that doctors are not asking for my consent before touching me. Uh, And I think that we need to start that conversation because they should be asking to touch you and they should be explaining what they're doing first. So I think that that's something really, really important, especially again, for um, the individuals listening to that. That's not something that I was ever taught. but it's something that's becoming very apparent to me now and how I treat patients because I always ask for their consent and they always think I'm crazy when I do that. Uh, And they're like, oh, well, I just assumed you were gonna do this. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 you have the right to decline. So this will tie into what it looks like. So when you come into a PT assessment, um, we do a verbal history and then, oftentimes there's a pelvic floor muscle exam. What that looks like is there can be an external component and an internal component. The external component can be as simple as I, you're fully clothed and I place my forearm against your pelvic floor with you say laying on your back and I have you do some breathing. It can be as involved as you get undressed from the waist down and I actually look at your vulva externally and I have you do some tightening, some relaxing, some deep breathing, and then I push on the muscles externally very gently as if I was pushing around your eyeball uh, to assess those muscles to see are they tight and tender or are they soft and supple? And then I will also take a Q-tip and touch around the um, vaginal opening to see if the skin has any sensitivities or any skin color changes or anything like that. So I have treated individuals who were as young as say 14, um, but they were, sexually active and they were having pelvic floor issues and we did this external assessment. I've treated people who were 25 and they never got undressed because they didn't feel comfortable with that. So again, I always explain what I'm doing and then I ask if you're open to that. So that's the external part. The internal part is with a gloved gloved hand, and lubricant on one finger, usually my pointer finger, I will then assess the pelvic floor muscles internally via the vaginal opening. And I start by just placing my finger tip 
just at the opening of the vagina, just to the first knuckle. That's where your layer one pelvic floor muscles are. And then again, as if I'm pushing around your eyeball very gently, I push on those muscles to see, are they soft, supple, or are they tight, tender, and painful? Um, and then I do that to my second knuckle, which is layer two, and then my third knuckle, which is layer three. And that helps me assess all of those pelvic floor muscles of the pelvic bowl. Some individuals will have discomfort um, as I'm placing my finger or as I'm moving my finger from say layer one to layer two. I will discontinue the exam if there is pain. Um, and I oftentimes will do my examination with my hands-on manual treatment. So you can, once you're in there and I see, oh, there's a tender muscle, I can treat it to get it to relax release and stretch. But again, if you're going to a physical therapist who is like, even though you're in pain, we have to get through all three of those pelvic floor layers, that's not the right physical therapist for you. Discontinue seeing them. <laughs> no, thank you for that. Especially with like, like I can't imagine what people are going through, especially when they're going to see a pelvic floor specialist for such discomfort. So it's, you don't need that added distress on top of that. So I'm really happy that you're advocating for that. Um, so for people who are like interested in making sure that their pelvic floor is healthy um, and maybe have some like further questions that they might want to play around with themselves to inquire about to see if this is something that they want to present to their practitioner. Are there any like tips or exercises that you would suggest young people to essentially test, test yes. out before they bring it up to a doctor? Yes. So um, one thing that I love to do is have people appreciate the full range of motion of their pelvic floor. So we can do that right now. It's very simple. Yep. So sit with a pretty nice posture, um, even weight through your sits bones, your butt bones. And what I want you to do is go ahead and gently tighten your pelvic floor like you're trying to stop the flow of urine or you're trying to not pass gas and then let that go. So when you do that, I'll have you do it again in a moment, you should feel a gentle lift um, sometimes people can feel their pelvic floor pull away from the chair that they're sitting on. Um, some people feel an internal squeeze. So again, gently lift as if you're trying to stop the flow of urine and then relax and release. So you should feel the lift when you tighten and you should feel the let go release. So these are good ways to test. If you don't feel a lift and if you don't feel a release, then that might mean that your pelvic floor doesn't have that range of motion. The next one is I want you to bear down like you're trying to push out or strain. So with that, you should feel your pelvic floor move down and out. So if you're sitting, you should feel more pressure into the chair or just like a separating almost and relax. That one's challenging. If you didn't feel it, try it again. But when you do it, 
try to make your belly big and hard at the same time you're making your pelvic floor big and hard. And I relax. felt that one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So whatever's happening with your tummy usually is what's happening with your pelvic floor. Now, the next one that I want you to do is I want you to cough. And when you cough, before you do it, you should feel your pelvic floor lift as you cough. So if you just do a nice cough. <coughs> <coughs> oh, yes. Nice. So that's normal pelvic floor motion. And then lastly, if you take a nice deep breath, relaxing breath into your belly and then exhale. Good. And with that inhale, you should feel pelvic floor move down. And with exhale, you should feel pelvic floor move up. So these are all very small movements. You might not feel it this first time, and that's fine, but you can replay this section of the um, podcast again, and you can try it laying down. So sometimes laying down, people can feel it better. You can try um, rolling up a towel and sitting on the towel like you're sitting on a saddle um, for a horse, um, and you can try doing these motions. So if you're not feeling those motions, that could mean that at your pelvic floor doesn't have the appropriate range of motion and you need some work with it. So that's one thing that you can do to test. Uh, and then the second thing is going back to those pelvic floor muscle functions. You can ask yourself, what is my urinary function looking like? Do I have concerns that I'm leaking? What does my bowel function look like? Am I sitting on the toilet for greater than 10 minutes? Um, am I going to the bathroom and it's, you know, four or five days in between bowel movements? How is my sexual function? Am I able to orgasm? Um, is there pain with intercourse? What is my lubrication like? Uh, am I able to use the period products that I want to use or am I not able to use them because I like I had a patient who wants to use menstrual cups, but she couldn't because she couldn't get them out because her pelvic floor was so tight that she um, couldn't get the cup out. So we were working on getting more flexibility there. So go back to what those pelvic floor functions are and just ask yourself, do yours feel optimal and are you okay with where they're at? Uh, and a lot of times, honestly, again, with, um, the, with the younger population, I'm seeing people because of the period products, they're not able to use what they want. And a lot with the sexual piece of things, um, they're not able to figure out how to orgasm. Um, whether that's partnered or soloed. And so we're talking about that stuff and just start to think about it. Just start to explore it. Doesn't mean something's wrong with you, but just start to get inquisitive. No, absolutely. And I think it's something that a lot of us, especially femme folk are having to unlearn because we have kind of been taught by the society that we grew up in that, sex is not really good for us and like our vaginas are weird and odd and different. So I'm really, I'm really happy that you're advocating for us and helping us kind of unlearn these notions and understand that 
you know, there's nothing wrong with our vaginas, there's nothing wrong with our pelvic floor, but nothing should be painful and you're not entitled to pain, you're entitled to pleasure. So I'm so happy. Uh, I was so excited to have you. I learned so much. I honestly didn't know much about pelvic floor health until now. So I'm really grateful, but I'd love for you to just plug your social medias, let everyone know where they can find you, if they have questions, where they can ask them. Yes. Okay. So Clitoris Collective is my fun kind of sex positive um, Instagram account that I love. So that one's really awesome. And then Laura Myhoffer uh, is my also my kind of personal Instagram, but that has more of all of the pelvic floor functions covered, whereas Clitoris Collective just focus more, focuses more on the sex piece. Uh, then lauramayhoffer.com is my blog, and that one I think honestly would be really great for this audience. Every week I do a different blog on a different topic. So this week uh, I'm going to be posting about yin yoga and the pelvic floor. Uh, and it's a guest blog post from a lady I had on my um, IG live. Um, last week I covered LGBTQ folks. Um, but I also have things on there about what is pelvic floor function? What is PCOS? Um, what are vibrators I recommend. So it's, again, all of the broad topics, but you can pick and choose. And the point is that you can print them off uh, and bring them to your doctor to help support whatever you're reporting. So lauramayhoffer.com is awesome. Also, you can sign up for my newsletter there. I don't spam you. It's just one uh, email a week on Thursdays that shares just a smattering of everything I did from that week. And then finally, my um, YouTube channel. And I would say the YouTube channel is sort of like uh, the fun sex stuff and then um, the and some yoga stuff combined together. So that one is a great way to get to me one on one. Uh, and then finally, you can message me at hello at lauramayhoffer.com uh, and you can also direct message me as well and so i've had plenty of people message me and say hey i'm struggling with this is this something i need help with is it not and we can go back and forth it takes like five minutes and we can figure out where you need to go amazing thank you so much for being such a resource for women i think that this was so helpful um, I wanted to thank Laura again for coming on the podcast. Make sure to check us out at Ladies Let's Talk About Sex on Instagram. We will have all of Laura's links and information there as well if you didn't pick up on everything in closing. Um, yeah, thank you so much again, Laura, for coming on the podcast. It was so incredible. And we will see you all next Monday.